This is Chaplain Jake Snodgrass, and this is the Prodeo Podcast, where we tackle the issues focused on military, congregational renewal, and missional community formation. Today I'm hosting Scott Thomas. Scott has served as the U.S. Director for the C2C Network and has served as the president of the Acts 29 Network for many years and has served as a pastor in the local church for 33 plus years. Scott is the co-author of Gospel Coach, Shepherding Leaders to Glorify God. He regularly trains leaders in Gospel Coach training and certification system. His other publications designed to develop Christian leaders include the Gospel Coach Workbook, Redeeming Grace, 20 Great Truths, and discerning God's call. Scott and Jeannie have been married for 35 years and enjoy two married sons, two beautiful daughters-in-law, two grandchildren, all happily living in Nashville. Scott has been a blessing to me personally, and his kindness has shaped my pastoral ministry, and I know I and many others are grateful for his wisdom and heart to build the kingdom. Church revitalization and planning is hard. It is hard on the lead pastor, and as we venture into military congregational renewal, we must take care to invest in personal and pastoral development. Enjoy what Scott has to say. What's the benefits right, of coaching during either church planning movements or revitalization efforts as kind of you've seen it across the board? Yeah, well, church planting and revitalizations are so stressful. The whole idea of replanting, changing, moving in a, in a new spiritual way when you haven't gone that way before or planting a new work in an area is so stressful. And so things rarely, never, go the way that we envision. And so relationships break down, resources will be limited and bring stress in a person's life. Leaders then are misunderstood because they, when you start to move people away from point A to point B, whether that's again, replanting or church planting, you're misunderstood. You think like, oh, what's in it for this person? And so it's going to be multiple ways, multiple times, people you didn't expect that would question and misunderstand and misrepresent things you've said or done. So when leaders are perceived to drop the ball or to misuse their authority, people begin to treat them as, you know, like they're the enemy and they attack them behind their backs instead of dealing with them in a biblical way. So, you know, it was Spurgeon who reminded his students and letters to my students, that workers, artists, and craftsmen sharpen their tools. They tune their instruments, they clean their brushes in order to be better at what they do. And those of us who use our spirit and our mind have to do the same thing. And we gotta, we have to tune, we have to sharpen our instrument by continually, consistently pursuing renewal and reflection in our own personal life. The Roman poet Lucan said, he's way back first century, See thou twist not the rope so hard that it breaks. So many Christian leaders have twisted the rope of their life, their marriage, their finances, their physical bodies, their pressure. You know, it's just all of it. And I let it happen to me. Uh, I let my rope get so twisted, tightly stretched, frayed. It affected my ability to lead others. And it brought stress to my own life. And it brought stress to everybody around me. Because I wanted to succeed at all costs. It was leadership, but it wasn't gospel leadership. So when I got a coach, it was a game changer for me. And so Bob, my first coach, began to ask me questions that nobody dared ask me before. I mean, I was the leader. People don't ask the leader 
But Bob asked me questions with so much respect that I couldn't ignore his coaching. It was almost like, what would you do in this situation if you were giving advice to another person? And I'd say, I'd tell him this. And he said, well, why don't you tell yourself? I mean, he didn't say it that bluntly, but <laughs> but essentially that's what a coach yeah. does is it, it brings you to become self-aware in such a way that you go, I can't ignore this any longer. So all the stress that comes about with revitalization and all of the misunderstandings of relationships and the breakdowns there, you've got to have somebody in your life that is able to kind of keep keep the compass, if you will, uh, in line and kind of show you this is the direction you're going, not in the wrong direction. I mean, when we're talking about like revitalization and planting, it's kind of been early days of Acts 29, even like the, the idea that. It seems it seems very sexy and very like appealing and you're doing a new thing and all like that. And there's a lot of good ideas out there. A lot of people are doing great things, but the real the grind of the long haul or the day to day that kind of sneak up on you and then being able to manage your expectations. I've felt that like, you know, mm-hmm. casting vision is is exciting. It's it gets everybody kind of on board. But then what happens after that in the long haul? I feel like can be such a major stressor it's a perfect description yeah. so you talk about you said something along the lines of leading from like a gospel base or leading from a spiritual core versus kind of performance base i know that's a big part of your book can you describe that just a smidge more yeah for sure so it is the big difference it's not like they're one and the same it is completely antithetical to that it's either going to be a gospel centered gospel motivation or it's going to be a personal motivation uh, what is, what's in this for me? What am I going to get? And essentially, it's who's on the throne. And so in a personal performance-based, I call it, in this performance-based, this personal benefiting way, you're the one who is the God. You're falling down and you're worshiping what you hope yourself will become. And that's this very successful, very highly respected, esteemed person. Versus and again, it's antithetical to each other that it is a gospel centered. You're looking at that it's God Almighty who is the only God and you're not. You're serving him. The words you're speaking are his words. I mean, Jesus even said that in the book of John. He said, the things I say are not my own. They come from the Father. And the things I do, I do nothing of my own accord. Only that which the Father tells me. And and the, the leader should do the same. It's like, I'm not doing this for me, or I'm not even speaking words or a plan or a philosophy that I've come up with, but I'm just repeating, echoing, representing who God Almighty is in my life. So they work against each other. You're either falling down and worshiping self, and you would never say that to anybody, or sure. you fall down and worship God and you follow his plan rather than your own plan. And what you're trying to do is build a core of people that are not worshiping you, but they're worshiping God, the shepherd, the king, and he's the only one that matters. And his, his command in our life, to use a term that you're familiar with, his command in our life and his mission in our life is what's important, not our own mission. Do you feel like, I mean, I think we've seen it before. I've seen it, you know, just in terms of, you know, even in my own, Right. In my own life where I have I'll have moments of, you know, where maybe there are some kind of anxiety produced response to a problem that's happening within the context of our chapel community or church community, things like that. 
and I will have thought that I'm leading out of, I thought I'm leading out of what God has called and what he said, but then that response demonstrates something else, right? Like, I'm like, oh, wow, where did that come from? And then I realize that that's a, that's a, it's a man centered. There's something down there that is looking for, you know, for glory for self or something along those lines. Um, how, how in the coaching relationship have you seen like the coach being able to really dig at and get through to the coachy, so to speak, um, uh, on areas of, you know, of, of just kind of that self powered leadership? Mm-hmm. Well, it really starts with a relationship. So there's got to be this relationship between the coach and use the term coachy, I use the term disciple, but nonetheless, it's the <laughs> same, same idea. It's like, well, who, you, right. you're, it starts with the relationship. It is essentially a friend who is caring for another friend, but it's not like a doctor-patient, a savior-center way. It's more in a collaborative, I'm going to shepherd, watch, guard, feed, defend you. And that same person, quite frankly, that same person can do the the same shepherd, watch, guard, feed, defend the other person. So it's very collaborative, but we need each other to watch out for one another. So it's not a consultant. Uh, There's a place for that. There's an absolute need for that. It's not even a mentor. You know, that is like a person who's way ahead of another person in a similar field. I've mentored a few young men. But coaching is something completely different. It's one who puts their arms around another and shows them how they could accomplish what God is calling them to do and be. So it starts with that relationship. That's where it absolutely starts. But in order to really get something out of it, out of a coaching relationship, there has to be honesty. You know, think of like a, well, you know, we're facing this virus. And think of, someone who doesn't begins to see the symptoms all the symptoms that everybody's aware of but he doesn't tell anybody and he may even go to the doctor and how you feel i'm feeling awesome great how you do you know doesn't allow the doctor to examine them closely take their temperature and such it is they they can't tell so if a person is not being honest if a coach can't get honesty from the person he's coaching he or she is coaching then there's going to be it's going to be useless. So you got to be honest in our spirituality, our walk with God. We've got to be honest in our emotions, how we're feeling. We, we don't do that very often, but those two are tied. We have to be honest in our marriage, if we're married, or or our relationships with another opposite sex, with our sexuality, married or not, our finances, our relationships, and Finally, in the work in which we're doing, we, we just need to be brutally honest. Apostle John says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what we have to do, he tells us, First John 1, is to walk in the light because that's where he is. Mm-hmm. And that's how we have fellowship with one another. That's how we coach one is only when we're both walking in the light. That is, we're. We're being honest with the coach, but the coach is also being honest in its evaluations and its questioning, walking with that person. Again, they have to be honest enough to say, this isn't about me. This is about the other person. 
in other words, a, a doctor, and this is a really good, uh, the, the doctor-patient relationship, it's the closest thing I can think of when we try to compare a, a coach-disciple, not to, not to minimize a physician and its education and such, but nonetheless, it's, it's that honesty. And it's like, if a doctor says, hmm, I suspect this person is sick, but they're not going to like me if I tell them. That would be silly. You know the the whole Hippocratic oath and such, but you 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 go like that would be silly. It'd be silly for a coach not to be honest with the person they're coaching, simply because they're insecure, don't have emotional intelligence enough to go like, "Hey, this is what I see," and say it in such a way that they could receive it. In other words, not so proud and haughty and arrogant, but in humility, it's going like, "I could be wrong here, but this is what I'm seeing." that's happening in your life. So both sides have to be completely honest. The coach must be able to ask hard questions and explore those gospel answers. And the person being coached needs to to be able to be examined in such a way, in a unique way, because people normally don't, during the handshake time of a church, which we don't do anymore. (laughs) Yeah, it's elbows now. (laughs) During the, yes, during social distancing, we don't, we don't do that anymore. But if, if for instance, pass the peace, we, we don't normally ask those hard questions, right? You know, turn to that person sure. and say, you know, hey, ask those really hard discerning questions. But you have to be able to do that in a coach coachy relationship. And if you don't do that there and you can't be brutally honest, you're fooling yourself and you're not, you're doing it. The leader, whether that's a chaplain, a lay leader, whatever, that church leader is not going to do its a service to those people that they're leading if they're not being examined and being honest with themselves. Take our, our virus, for example, a person that doesn't get the test themselves, if you will, to know for sure they have no symptoms and they're not going to pass along the virus to another person. They, they have to be brutally honest with themselves and go like, I've received this testing, therefore I'm not contagious, I'm not a carrier. and I can speak to you without fear. And so a church leader has to also be examined by this coach in such a way to such an extent that they then become a service, a help, a truly a gift to that body. As you're using that illustration, which I think is really a, a powerful one, especially especially now, as you're thinking through the danger that you can be to some a community of people right mm-hmm. being a, mm-hmm. a carrier uh, and and then spreading what you you may not maybe you have symptoms and you just ignore them or you have or you're just not being honest about them but being willing to like spread what you have essentially to throughout your organization and through your people i feel like as a pastor and a leader we have obviously that capacity to to spread a kind of performance driven culture personal performance driven culture all the way through you know our congregation and to our people and, and a variety of other things too if, if we go unchecked you you've spoken to it but speak to maybe a little bit just the the danger that's there of being a of being a pastor or a leader or a shepherd of any kind and then not having somebody in your life that can actually speak into your heart. What happens is you turn away from, without that kind of assessment of your life, this ongoing, and it's ongoing assessment. It isn't one day that you wake up and say, I'm going to begin to become a narcissist and I'm going to indulge in, <laughs> you know, 
whatever they want to indulge in, um, self-medicate or whatever it is. Uh, you don't just wake up one day and that happens. It happens slowly over time. You you begin to turn away so much so that you don't even recognize it. And quite frankly, other people don't recognize it to the degree unless they are in your lives on a daily basis. I was I was in a meeting with a group of people that we were coaching one another on a regular basis. And the two of them in conversations with me, there was three of us, the two of them looked to me and said, are you okay? I said, yes, why? They said, you're not your normal happy self. You have been negative and depressed this entire meeting. What's going on? And I shared some things that were going on that were outside of my control. It wasn't was involved in, but just, but they recognized it because I was in a regular coaching relationship with them. They were able then to speak to me and they stopped the meeting and said, what's going on, dude? And I, I, I was given an option to share that. So sometimes pastors, church leaders, chaplains don't feel like they have anybody where they could bring these concerns. And in a formal coaching relationship, that's where it can happen. And if it doesn't happen there, it's probably not going to happen because they're they're typically put into, you know, again, to use a, a military mindset and metaphor, you know, they're put at the front of the command and they're leading the charge and people aren't going like, are they okay? Is everything like their responsibility as a leader to make sure everybody else is okay. And no one is doing that. So if they don't have somebody around them in their life who's intentionally looking out for them, they may lead them up the wrong place. So how you know how have you seen effectively guys get into healthy coaching relationships? And then what are those what does that look like long term? Being a healthy coaching relationship? Yes. Well, first, you've got to be resonate with the coach or the person you're coaching. In other words, there has to be the Paul-Timothy relationship. Perhaps not to that degree, but certainly it needs to reflect the Paul-Timothy relationship where Paul said to Timothy, my beloved son. And when I think of you, I shed tears. I can't wait for us to be back again together. And those kinds of relationship. And I, I, I remind you, Timothy, of your grandmother and your mother and the spiritual level that they have. In other words, Paul knew Timothy and had a kinship with him. And Timothy certainly had a respect and a relationship with Paul. Uh, so much so that Paul handed off that ministry to Timothy. It was his chosen I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand this off to you. And he began to speak to him in the book of Timothy and handing off that, that ministry that was so valuable to Paul. So it's, it's being in a relationship. It's having in a kinship for another person. And that can grow as, as you begin to know another person, you know what their heart is and the things they struggle with, those kinds of things. It, you've got to have a relationship with them. So it, it's it's different than a friendship. It's entering into almost almost like this covenant with one another that we are going to be committed to one another, and so that starts with a relationship. But then it was told of uh, David, he became a skillful shepherd. 
that we can learn the skills that it takes to shepherd. And that is, we're watching out, we're looking, we're reading, we're growing ourselves, where the, the Word of God is so filling up that when anything outside of the Word of God exists, either in our own life or in the life of others, and quite frankly, we can see we can see it happen in others' lives before we see it in our own. But hmm. when the Word of God fills us so much that when we see something that is contrary to that which fills us, then we can speak out against it. And we don't speak out. Say we put our arm around that person in relationship and we help them to see what they're not seeing at that moment. And so that relationship and that caring and that growing in your shepherding skill develops that that coaching relationship and is vital to the coaching relationship. And, and so it starts there. You, if you don't have that, you know, people get hung up on what questions do I ask? How, what would you ask a friend? That's the question you ask. What would you ask somebody you really care about? What's the question you would ask your son if you were old enough, for instance? What would you ask your son if he were in this situation, this case, or daughter? Then, you know, ask those questions. Help them to guide them and care enough about them. I mean, it's really, we're called to pay careful attention to that flock. Those are people put into our life whom the Holy Spirit has entrusted to our care. And again, we're not leading them towards our agenda. We're leading them towards Jesus Christ. How does a, how does a person, you know, if let's say that you're wanting to develop skills to be a better coach, where do you, where do you go for learning that and, and, and growing in the area of, of coaching? It, it starts with an attitude, of course. Because the leading metaphor for church leadership is not, sorry to say, it's not general, one star, two star, three star, or a commanding right. officer. It's shepherd. And Apostle Peter emphasized this, you know, said, shepherd the flock of God that's among you, not under compulsion. Exercise oversight on them, but do it willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. So this whole idea of but first, it's a posture of shepherding in another person's life. And if you can take that posture, you don't have to worry about the details. In other words, when you became a father, Jake, for the first time, what books did you read? Well, probably not very I'm bothering. I mean, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> we could all benefit from something, but probably didn't. But what the, the greatest thing that you were able to do in being a father was the fact that you became a father. You were you were thrust into this thing. You became a dad. So it's who you are. There's no changing that. You're the dad, and I've watched you, and you're a great dad. You you you're put into that role. And if you would say, "Okay, son, um, this is what I'm supposed to do," because the books say it this way, it doesn't come across as effectively as if I am your daddy who loves you. I care about you. Sometimes dads have to say things that are hard and you're not going to agree with them, but I'll, I'm going to commit myself to walk us through this. I'm not just going to throw out words and say, you follow my command. I'm going to say, come, I'll go with you. I'll walk with you. I will shepherd you in the ways that you need to go. So it's, it, I think a, a coach is looking at another person. If they, they look at them and say, 
the Lord has entrusted this person to my care to help lead them. Then the questions that we ask, the way that we do that, that those skills are going to be secondary to the primary thing of, I really love, care, and I respect this person. Honor them and the role that they are in my life that is entrusted to my care. So much so that I know exactly what to ask. I feel like, you know, even as sometimes we get into certain coaching relationships or, or mentoring kind of guides, and things like that, there, there can be some, you know, maybe even professional hangups with internal, like it, with internal organization, like the army or something. And kind of, so what you've said is, is really, is important is that you, in order to be a really an effective coach to get at the heart of a leader or a, a peer is that, you know, one is love them well be others oriented as, as what i'm hearing and then being centered on on the gospel do you what other areas i mean as you're kind of looking through you know spiritual formation and and, and continuing to to write and to coach leaders where, where have you seen you know guys really excel in the areas of a formation like what habits and you know as you're kind of coaching somebody along too as well like you're just where, where do we commonly across the board folks need to grow in the area of, of being a follower of Jesus or in, in spiritual formation? The common issues that guys will deal with as you're coaching them are time management, finances, relationships, and they seem to be tripped up. It's almost like, okay, this is, and so it's understanding who people are and what, how relationships work and how other people work. And so the coach can really advance himself by understanding the human person, first of all, understanding what he's make up, um, understanding what are the basis of their whole makeup, their whole, their holistically, not just how they function as a leader. I had a person coach me one time that was coaching me just to be a leader of a network, period. And they didn't ask questions about my yeah. personal life. They didn't ask about my marriage, nothing else. And it seemed to be one-sided. It was helpful because I had other people in my life that were asking about those other things. And perhaps he knew this, but, but it was one-sided. So a coach, a good coach, understands the whole person and understands what it means to be a good husband, good father, good wife, good mother, good daughter to a parent and such understands what it means to be a church leader, what it's what it means to be in broken relationships and how to repair those. And, and so it's studying and learning about who the human is, understanding them completely, thoroughly, fully, and then saying, in order for me to make a difference in their life, I can't just focus on one area. For instance, if a person is addicted to, say, alcohol, I'm not saying this is a church leader, but just as an example. That a person, if a person is yeah. addicted to alcohol, it isn't about alcohol. It's about something else. It's normal. Any addiction is like this. The addiction is typically initiated, empowered by either broken relationships, uh, a hatred for self, self-medicating for some reason that their life just isn't the way they want it to be. Uh, I had a friend whose spouse was in very dire straits and. He said, man, I am drinking too much. It wasn't alcoholic. It wasn't addicted. It was like, I, it's, I find myself going there instead of going to 
the Lord and finding satisfaction in the gospel. If you just focus on let's get rid of the alcohol in your life and and move that, we, it's part of it, but it's not all of it. And if a person's having difficulty in their marriage or having difficulty, whatever relationships or emotions or the body or whatever's going on in the family, it, it it's holistic. Right. So a good coach will understand this and understand that it's every part of that person that they're dealing with in order to bring them to wholeness in Christ. And it's taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. And by taking every thought, it's not only just your thought, but your emotions, your, your feelings and your family and your finances, and everything about yourself. You're, bringing all of that into the obedience of Christ. And that's a lifetime job. We yeah, yeah we, we don't wake up one day and go like, got it, nailed it, let's move on. You're like it just it's a lifetime thing that we have to deal with because we're human. And we need other people around us. So no matter what age they are, 20 year old pastor, 30 year old, 40, 50, 60, 70, everybody needs people around them that is like, I just want to remind you of the gospel. That's I mean, essentially, that's what we are in people's life. That's what a coach is. It isn't a teller of the gospel. Sometimes that's true, but more common, it's a reminder of the gospel, and the person receiving it would say, duh, you're right. You're, you're absolutely right. This is what I needed to hear. Didn't realize it. It snuck up on it. So that's all it really is. So it's if you're going to get competent to be a competent coach, you know the gospel thoroughly, fully, completely. Two, you love people. Three, you learn to understand who people are and what all the struggles they go through. For instance, I'm, as you know, I'm at the end of writing a, a book about emotional intelligence and what what that means for leaders to be emotionally intelligent, understanding that aspect of a person's life as it applies to the gospel, and and how you can coach people because it's. It's those issues in your life that you're dealing with. It's not being able to, well, third grade, I got a note on my report card. It said, Scott works and plays well with others. And that happened in, in grade three. And it's really essentially what, <laughs> what we're trying to do, you know, at 50, <laughs> 60 years later, is trying to figure out how we work and play well with right. others. And, and, and so it isn't vocationally being able to exegete a, a passage to read the original Greek or Hebrew, but it's really working and playing well with others. The understanding. So anyway, I digress a bit, but it's it's understanding who the whole person is and loving them well. So you understand the gospel, you love people, you essentially learn about the whole human and understand that coaching involves all of it. A person that is overweight, which isn't common in your arena, but a person that's overweight, it, it isn't about the weight. It's about causing to to exercise in those things or not exercise as it gets maybe what's taking place in their life. And so you, you're dealing with multiple things about the person. And if you understand that, then you're going to go on. And then it's the perseverance. Finally, it's just perseverance because this is hard. It's really hard. It's not an easy task. That's why they call it leadership, right? You, you're paying careful attention, Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts. 
pay careful attention to the flock of God in which you're made overseer. And that's a lifetime thing. To do so, you got to pay careful attention to yourself and pay careful attention to the flock. Uh, a bird needs both wings to fly. That's where we can really take off is when we understand that aspect of it. My life is at least in maintenance mode. My life is at least functioning. And then I'm able to speak into the lives of other people and help lead. But you do that out of a heart of love, out of heart of know everything. If you would just sit down and shut up, listen to me, you'd get it right. Uh, that never works in the family home, and it doesn't work at a church either. So your your book, Gospel Coach, is obviously a great resource for this. And as you're writing the new one, um, what have you kind of bumped into that maybe some a great resource that you could like recommend or pass along something that you've been reading that's oh gosh uh you should see the stack of books which sits sits next to me right <laughs> now um i'm essentially not writing anything that is brand new i'm just compiling things from jonathan edwards religious affection c.s lewis everything uh and then and then daniel goldman's yeah. ideas about what makes a leader in emotional intelligence He's really the one who, the New York Times bestseller and New York Times uh, journalist, actually. And he he's the one that really kicked off and is most notable about what it means to be emotionally intelligent. John Stott on basic leaders, you know, so so it's everywhere. Pete Cazero, great guy on emotional health and spirituality, taking bits and pieces of that, not buying into yeah. and jumping in and saying, I'm just going to repeat what what Pete or Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book on life together. Uh, I'm, you know, and so it's, it's pulling, essentially what I found out about myself was this, in one of the pieces that we're looking at, a good leader, a gospel leader, this is what I'm calling it, gospel leader. A gospel leader is one who is, has an insatiable desire to learn. That's one aspect. Has this insatiable desire to learn. And so what I discovered about myself in writing this was because I have, I want to learn everything. I want to learn how, why things are this way. For instance, why did they paint this part of the wall first before they painted that part? Simple things like that. I want to know that. I want to know why Starbucks still burns their coffee. I want to know, you know, everything. <laughs> and by, because I'm so inquisitive, and I want to know everything. Sometimes I ask people questions that they feel threatened, particularly if, you know, if you're in a, a position of stature and authority, at least years of experience in your life, and you ask somebody, why are we doing it this way? It can come across like <laughs> I'm questioning and I'm challenging what they're doing. I'm really just like learning. I want to know why is it done this way? I want to learn it. So it, it it was a revelation in my life. It was going like just one of the pieces of gospel leadership is this insatiable desire to learn. And you learn about people and you learn about things and how things function, of course. But but in it, it helped me to know more about myself that I could come across sometimes as disgusted with how they're doing things and I'm not. I just want to know. I, I want to know everything about it. So that that's a piece of it too. Is like you just you've got to learn about people and learn and grow and 
be developed ways that are way beyond the norm. For here, as kind of we're looking ahead for revitalization and for building and growing chapel communities and thinking through like pastoral care in the context of, of a church setting, like if you, you know, at a manual, the coaching process or the, the process of kind of come alongside of folks like that, how they worked it well within the context of a congregation, why they kind of pastoral care and develop type of gospel leaders that is it a formal program do they do it like is it part of a culture there's definitely a culture and so what i put into place is baby steps and so recently we just implemented what we're calling discipleship groups which is not a fantastic name because i wasn't trying to be fantastic i was trying to be descriptive of what we're trying to do these groups are meeting for what purpose to disciple one another so essentially that's become gospel coaches to each other in smaller settings. So we had the small group set up, men, women, children, you know, the whole thing. And that has its place, its value. And I instituted this new discipleship group, which was essentially gospel coach with groups of three to four to five. Is that no, internal to the small groups? In addition to the small groups. So it's just, and it, on this case, it's yeah. men, men, women, women. So separate by gender. Sure. And they meet with one another. And people really jumped on it and really dig it, walking through it. It becomes a very reproducible way. And quite frankly, it becomes an efficient way. I don't normally use this kind of a term, but it becomes efficient in that you essentially are gospel coaching three or four or five other people at the same time. But you're also training them how to do that with other people. So our very first meeting we had, I'd lead one. And the first meeting, they're all 20-something guys. And I said, the goal of this, and I'm not 20-something, just to be clear. Um, it, it, the goal of this is for you all, all of you, to lead your own group you know, in the, at the end of 13 weeks or so. And that was, they all, okay, I understand. So it becomes very clear that that's going to be re reproducible. And if you can get, maybe not all of them will lead a group, but I believe most of them will. That's going to just going to multiply. So it becomes efficient. It becomes multiplying. It's reproducible. You just be able to pour those things in there. So yeah, I trained the, I trained the whole church, or all the leaders. It? it was about eighty or so people. I trained them on how to how to ask those questions, the kind of leader to be, to be that yeah. shepherd, not the rabbi, and and it took off. So we got. We got about 50 groups. Yeah, that's amazing. Do you guys, so is it like, uh, you said like 13 weeks, is it like a specific kind of like format for that 13 weeks? Or is it like, hey, just this is the time that we're working through this, the gospel coach book or the material, or is it like, how we're is actually it, how going, does that lay mm -hmm. out? No, it's a great question. We're going through a book of the Bible. So the major emphasis of this is we take the word of God and we're walking them through that. So we're, in, in this instance, we're taking them through the book of John. And it turns out to be about, I said 13, okay. but I, I'm not sure why I said that. It's actually 20 weeks, not to be a liar. So it, it we're going like about 20 weeks. You walk through the book of John, just 20 chapters. We just take it point by point, you know. And so we dig, we dig in half the time that we're spending together. We usually spend about an hour and a half together. So about half of that time, we're intentionally just digging into the word. And they've come prepared. The difference is they're not coming to a Bible study where the you know, senior pastor, if you will, 
is teaching them what the Bible is saying, but they're coming already prepared, already studied, not just read, but studied that passage. And then we jump together and we go, all right, what, what jumps out to you? And we go through basics. So we're teaching them how to study the Bible. We're actually using R.C. Sproul's book, Knowing Scripture, as a supplementary resource as well, alongside the book of John. So we're learning how to study the Bible. We're studying the Bible. So we're implementing these tools, these shared common tools on how to study the Bible while we're studying the Bible. So it's in real time. And yeah, people are digging it big time. You can find more from us at ProDeoChapel.com and click on our social media platforms and connect with us there.